How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. This is, is it? Yeah, it is. It's an emergency pod. This is an emergency pod right now because um, I don't think or, it's, it's a regularly scheduled emergency. pod. Yeah, th- it kind of makes it tough because I, I think we we were prepared to record this and all ready to go. But um, I guess technically still an emergency because it is a Friday night. And this episode of Locked on Bucks is brought to you by our good friends at SeatGeek. They are supporting us here as we, we stay up all night. Uh, but you won't stay up all night looking for seats on SeatGeek because it's so simple and easy. Go to SeatGeek, use the promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked On Bucks, and you can get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, so, Frank, it is 11.56, and so that means, what, 56 minutes ago, the Milwaukee Bucks officially um, – received the first Woj ESPN bomb or ESPN Woj bomb. I don't know how you want to you want to say it, but Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Milwaukee Bucks signed Tony Snell to a 4-year, $44 million contract, uh, could be up to 46 with some incentives. So that's what they that's what they signed it to. I would say I wouldn't say it's the worst kept secret in the league because a number of deals broke uh, before that. But uh, certainly, I think both of us felt pretty confident that we'd be recording a podcast around this time, reporting a Tony Snell contract. Yeah, it seemed like that was that was very likely, and we talked about why being you know both sides having an incentive to try to get something done sooner rather than later. Um, you know, again, restricted free agency. There's always a chance that uh you know again a player if he goes out and looks for an offer sheet may find uh a, a bigger offer sheet than maybe what his uh incumbent team is willing to offer him coming into free agency um you know again for a guy like tony snell that would probably be because you know a team out there with cap space strikes out on other deals and then they say geez we got all this money we got to spend it on somebody um and that's obviously also why a team like the bucks would be motivated to to try to get something done right away just because uh, again, it's possible that that could happen. It's possible that Tony Snell would have gone out looking for a better offer and and would have found no better offer, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you just don't know, and so you you know, it's a gamble for both sides if they go out and and shop for a better deal. Um, you know, we've seen the Bucks kind of take differing paths on this. Chris Middleton, um, probably notably, very similar to Snell. Uh, as soon as midnight struck a couple years ago, uh, he signed that five-year, seventy million dollar contract. Um, Tony, obviously, uh, thankfully not getting that kind of number, uh, four years, 44 million, um, kind of in line with our expectations. You know, we, we, uh, projected the other day, we, we put an over under of, of 12 million per season. We both took the under, we both assumed he would be coming back. So, um, you know, I, hopefully our, everybody out there was emotionally prepared for, for this kind of number. And, you know, again, I think some of the numbers you're going to see 
I think there's going to be more scattershot this summer than last summer in terms of deals. You know, we've heard rumors about Joe Ingles getting 15 million per year from our old friend John Hammond in Orlando. Um, you know, Sean Livingston got eight million per year to stay in Golden State. Uh, there will be good deals. There will be, you know, questionable deals. Um, and this deal, I think, feels like a pretty reasonable one given the circumstances. Um, you know, given that right now Tony Snell is the starting shooting guard for the Milwaukee Bucks with Jabari Parker sort of TBD as far as returning. Chris Middleton obviously has moved up to small forward. That's meant plenty of opportunity for Tony Snell. And obviously he took advantage of that last year. And um, he uh, he will be back this fall. And um, obviously right now uh, there's a lot expected of him in Milwaukee. Maybe not in terms of like raw statistics, but certainly his role is an important one. And uh, obviously the Bucks were, were not interested in uh, kind of playing chicken with restricted free agency and seeing if mm-hmm. they could maybe get a little bit better deal. One shout out to everyone that responded to my tweet. I kind of asked, someone asked me if I, if they should feel good about this deal. And I, I tried to reverse that and ask everyone how they felt about it. And I got a million responses. I was honestly thinking I was going to get like 10 and I could read those 10. Um, but <laughs> we got way more than that. Um, so I, I guess to sum them up, I think there's a couple of camps here. The first one and some of the first tweets I got were, why um and also no and also that's too much i think there's a camp that's eh, okay and then i think there's a group that's this is awesome that wasn't alan crab money um so i think all three of those groups are probably justified and that probably speaks to i guess to snell's role in the value of three and d wings and the maybe acceptance of of the Bucks not being a team that often goes into restricted free agency. And obviously this is a different regime with John Horst taking over for John Hammond, but obviously John Horst was in the room and in all those other times. And he was there uh, all the other times that they decided not to go to restricted free agency. So I don't necessarily think I would count this as a surprise that they were willing to stay away from it. And I, I guess to me, it's a little strange that you wouldn't that you would accept that number and not maybe push for like a four for 40 um, or maybe even lower than that and then say okay well if you want to go out and try to get it go get it but at the same time if you play that game for a long time maybe a bunch of people strike out and that's certainly possible we've seen a ton of moves tonight that I don't think any of us saw coming Uh, and maybe that that means more people can get what they want in free agency. Maybe that means that there's just one less player uh, that would have filled a role on one less team, and that means everyone kind of moves up the pecking order, and all of a sudden that means Tony Snell gets an offer. Um, So it's just a tough spot because I think if the Mirza Toledovich, Matthew Delavadova, and John Henson contracts don't exist – I think generally people are pretty okay with this. I think you would have to think, okay, that's about right. Maybe a little bit of an overpay, but you wanted to keep him here. He fits in with the roster. He does the three and D stuff. He 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 seems to be a generally good teammate and seems to just work here in Milwaukee. I think you'd be you'd see people a lot more okay with it. But knowing that those other three deals near double digits for for Delhi and then the other two over uh, double digits for uh, Henson and for De- and Toledovich, I think that 
since those exist, I think people just automatically put up that barrier a little bit quicker and think to themselves, this could go south and this could go south in a hurry. And honestly, I wish that was the approach people took to free agency more often. I wish that was exactly what people would be doing where they'd be saying, okay, free agency is a dangerous place and free agency is probably not going to work out for us. And maybe now their defenses are up a little bit more about that, but seemingly every time we, we mention anyone on Twitter, anyone gets signed. People are like, Oh, well the bucks could have had him. So um, I'm just curious kind of about that and which way people tend to go. If they are are concerned and maybe a little nervous about free agency or if, okay, this is fine. That's how it's going to work. So uh, it's just been interesting to see the different reactions to this. Yeah. Hopefully at some point in the near future, there will be a time when, you know, playing with Giannis and, whoever else is is on the bucks at that point will be sufficiently appealing that you know we can start talking about some of the big bigger name free agents and and being able to really make legitimate plays and hopefully actually having cap flexibility to do so um but for the most part you know i think if you follow uh free agency the nba closely enough you know that basically free agency is is where the bad deals get signed right and um you know again you can just sort of think of it as, as a push and pull right and when you think about where where good value and bad value lies in the nba you know rookie contracts artificially limit uh the amount of money getting paid to players on the first four years of their deals when they're first round picks that means you basically have and, and again keep in mind you know players are roughly guaranteed about half of all you know league revenues so uh, the money has to go somewhere um and it's trued up you know at the end of every season so um if you think of it that way you know that all these young guys tend to not get paid not enough. The superstars get paid max deals and when they could get more, right? Yep. Um, although some of these guys now, Steph Curry tonight, getting you know an average of forty million a year, not so bad. Not bad. Um, but you know, LeBron, KD, Steph, one day Giannis. Uh, I mean, Giannis isn't even getting his max right now. Um, those guys will com- would command more than than the max in a in a perfectly free market. Um, so you have m- even more money not getting spent on those guys that should. And then all the bu- basically all that that extra money that's not getting paid to young players, not getting paid to the superstar, you know, max guys who deserve more. All of it gets to go somewhere, and it you know essentially tends to go to um, free agents and probably those more mid tier guys who you immediately then look at and say, boy can't trade that contract and um you know we're tweet- tweeting about it tonight and it's something that you know we've talked about in the past is you know the hard part with um with free agency is guys tend to go where they get paid the most yep and so if you sign a guy and you were the highest bidder for a guy you know in some cases there are lots of bidders for a guy if it's like a max guy or whatever and then you know it's a different story but if a guy's going where he's going to get paid the most then generally speaking um whoever just signs him won't find a team that would want to take him at that yeah. at that at that dollar amount. You know, it's just um, a bit of a and I don't want to say the catch twenty two. It's just kind of the basic logic of it, right? It's the winner's curse that you sometimes hear yeah. people talked about, sort of an economic theory. So, um, so we'll see with Tony Snell. I mean, I was as just going to ask agent, with Tony Snell. Do you think it's tradable? I mean, I think if he, I mean the good thing about the Tony Snell deal is this is a keep on keeping on deal. This is not a okay, we, you're a young player and we're expecting you to get way better and you have all this potential and you're getting paid for that rather than what you've done. Yeah. Um, he's getting paid for what he's already done and he's 25, going to be 26 in the fall. 
no physical reason to think that he can't continue to do what he's done. Um, he was better last year than he was in any of his previous years, but he also wasn't, you know, a completely different player or, you know, I don't think there was anything about it. I mean, he might shoot a little bit worse from three, but again, nothing sort of dramatically out of whack with where you'd look at it and say, oh, there's no way he can keep that up, right? I mean, I think back to when Urshan Eliasova signed his quote-unquote big contract, you know, he was coming off, I think, what, a year or two where he shot, I think it was his his one year where he shot like close to 45% from three yeah, or something like yeah. that. And, you know, the big concern was like, well, geez, I mean, he can't do that. And then basically he did that the next year, um, but took him a little while. And, you know, that, that deal kind of went through various phases of, is it tradable? Is it not tradable? I mean, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately the Bucks gave him away for cap space. So, you know, I guess that would suggest it was pretty much a neutral deal at that point. Um, but I think with Tony, um, it will be interesting to see. You know, I think uh, looking at sort of the cap impacts of this, um, you know, if you assume max raises and $44 million total, you'd start off with a deal that projects to start around $9.8 million, um, puts the Bucks. Uh, a little over the luxury tax threshold, maybe a half million dollars over the luxury tax threshold right now with 14 players, including Gary Payton II. Um, you still have to take care of Sterling Brown as well. He might get, you know, let's say 900000 next year. So that means you'd have to shave off about $1.4 million uh, to get back under the luxury tax threshold, which, you know, again, is is very doable, right? I mean, you just wave story or stretch Spencer Hawes and that would take you there yeah obviously they'll they'll probably look to to shed a little more than that through for instance like a John Henson trade or something like that but um but anyway so I mean I, I'm not you know you you are you do protect to be over the tax but I'm also not can't say I'm like panicking at this point from a Bucks perspective you obviously have a lot of time to to figure that out so um so but yeah it's an interesting question I mean it, you know can you trade Tony Snell right now Tough to say because he never he didn't really go on the market right as a first free agent we don't know what might have been out there for him um, but I think if he kind of continued to play the way he has I'm sure you could move him I'm sure you could get rid of him um, uh, you know but is he going to have like surplus value probably not a lot of surplus value even if he you know kind of continues to do what he he's been doing I think you sign him because he fits what you want to do and you want to keep him and you want to play him and you know I think anytime you're signing guys. And it's not because you actually want to want them to be playing, and because you think they can help you. I think that's generally where a lot of times you get into trouble, where you're sending guys, you don't have room to play them, things like that. Certainly, Tony for right now is a guy who who has a clear role in this team, and obviously that's important because, you know, again, it's the downside scenario factor, right? Is there a scenario where Tony Snell doesn't, you know, falls out of the rotation next year? Probably not really. Not Seems unlikely. Yeah, not with the way this roster is currently constructed. Not with Jabari being such a huge question mark. Um, you know, he'll pencil in as, as your opening night starter at shooting guard. And, um, you know, again, it took him a little while to get going shooting wise last year as well. He was shooting in the low 30s for much of the first couple months and then really caught fire, uh, you know, in the second half of the season. So hopefully um, he does what we know he can do. And I think at that point he'll be pretty good value and, you know, leaves the Bucks a little bit of work to do now as far as uh, the luxury tax and, you know, managing um, a, a kind of tight cap situation. But again, it's not something that, you know, again, I, I there's no reason the Bucks would have to attach an asset to trade somebody or something like that. They're not in that kind of level of desperation. Speaking of desperation, Frank, the Bucks might not have that type of desperation to try to get rid of one of those contracts, but 
all of our listeners might have some sort of desperation to go to Summerfest and see someone at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. Maybe they want to see someone today on Saturday. Weird to say that now, but uh, on Saturday, the Zach Brown Band will be hanging out at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. And the best way to go find those seats, if you are that desperate, if you want those seats, just go to our good friends at SeatGeek. Check out their app, and it, it's so simple. It'll show you where all the seats are, what's available, where you can get a seat, where you can sit, how much it's going to cost, what your view is going to look like from that spot. You can see it all right there, right on the app. It's so simple, so easy to use. And obviously, we've been talking about it all year long, but now it's the summer, and there's still plenty of ways to use the SeatGeek app uh, to go check out SeatGeek. So, a reminder, if you've never used SeatGeek before and you, you want to save some money, we are the way to do it. All you have to do is use our promo code. It's LOBUCKS, and it's really simple to use. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, then go to the Settings tab. On the Settings tab, hit Enter Promo Code. Enter promo code LOBUCKS. Again, that's LOBUCKS for Locked On Bucks, and you'll get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you haven't used it before, go use it today. And if you have used it before, Go check it out anyways because SeatGeek is so great and so helpful and, and just makes the, the ticket buying, searching, finding experience so much easier. There's no need for desperation. Just go out there, use the SeatGeek app, and it'll show you literally whatever you need. Ultimately, though, Frank, when I think about this deal, I think it's fine. Like If you want me, yeah. if you want me to give you a feeling to, to go out there with... Uh, really in an exaggerated over the top good or bad i don't think that exists i think it's fine it's not it's not the best deal ever signed this like you said it's not going to immediately give you surplus value and he's not immediately going to become one of the best assets in the nba that that deal did not happen and it's also not one of the worst this is not Mozgov. This is not Alan Crabb last year. Like this is about right for him. And I think what you mentioned was important is that this isn't this isn't a payday that's I guess that's suggesting he's going to get better. This is a payday that suggests as long as he does what he did last year, it's totally fine. And I guess the big thing is, like I said, always the context that it's signed in. There's those three other deals that the Bucks have that I think have really made people very cautious when thinking about these type of deals. But it does seem likely next season for sure that he'll be the starting shooting guard and he's going to play a whole lot of games, um, even if that means shifting Chris Middleton up to small forward. And then the year after, maybe they, they find a better a better shooting guard in a trade maybe sterling brown is fantastic and and makes him not quite as relevant but again still seems likely that two years from now he would be able to contribute and play a lot of minutes um and maintain a spot in the rotation so um it, it just seems like it's fine and that's okay for the bucks like uh going forward that they got someone that that was fine so uh that, that's good to see. Okay. Other things in free agency. Frank, what, um, go ahead. I, I, the only thing I'd add there, you know, I mean, it is not, you know, you, you don't like to see guys get player options just because those, you know, are insurance for, yep. for the player. Um, I think the I, I would have to think this will be an escalating deal just because of the Bucks luxury tax situation this year. Um, 
we'll see. I mean, it's possible the Bucks haven't worked that exactly out yet. Uh, you know, a lot of times they just sort of work out the, the total number and then, you know, they deal with the actual structure of the escalations or de-escalations, um, you know, when the team has sort of figured some stuff out. So so we, we don't haven't gotten official confirmation on that. But certainly with the Bucks tight tax situation, you'd imagine they would try to minimize their cap hit um, this season, which is is where I kind of came up with that assumption about nine point eight million in max raises would put him at about twelve point two in his the final year. And obviously the other upside is, you know, if you um, are worried about him opting out and saying, well, this is just a three year deal because it's a player option. Um, if it's declining, then that means that, you know, he's all the more likely to just opt out and and need more money uh, in that last year. So. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll kind of see how how this kind of works out sort of structurally but um yeah i mean to your point i think it's fine you know it's you you keep a guy that that obviously played an important role for you last year i don't think tony snell is irreplaceable by any stretch but certainly and i guess we're going to get into it now i mean looking at the other moves and the rest of what's happening in the east um you know the bucks ironically by just sort of keeping what they have and allowing their guys to improve internally just naturally by by getting your older a lot of these young guys um i mean the east around them just seems to be falling apart so um so you know again you don't want to you don't want to encourage them just like oh just just don't don't try anything <laughs> you know you're you're you know you're you're set you're going to be a championship team this. just put it in autopilot no you are you are not going to be a championship team by putting it in autopilot um but i mean looking around at the rest of the east uh, Paul George gone in Indiana, Jimmy Butler gone in Chicago. Um, I mean, Atlanta just vaporizing, it seems. Um, you know, a, a number of spots are, are opening up in the East playoff picture. And, um, you know, other than Cleveland and, you know, Boston not yet to make their big move, um, I think it's certainly going to be continuing to be interesting to watch because the Bucks probably feel like uh, the East is 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 right there for for them to. I don't want to say take because there's obviously still clearly better teams, but um, you know they're they're not even going to have to really do that much to, to necessarily move up a fair bit in the pecking order. Do you think it's crazy to posit that the Bucks added one win? to their potential total with the loss of Jimmy Butler and Paul George? Two wins? Three wins? Do, do you think any of that would be crazy to say that just them leaving in the Bucks instead of having to face, a, a, I mean, two teams that have guys that can single-handedly win games, so that would be eight times next year? Um, d- does that have that type of effect that guys in the division are gone? So eight games uh next year turn into eight easier games that they can get a win or two more out of that and add that to their total or is that a a crazy thing to say um i don't think that's crazy at all i mean uh, you know obviously they they what they were i think they had a 3-1 lead edge over both the bulls and the pacers i want to say yep um head to head this year i mean let's put that aside right because you know, whatever. There's there's noise in that. I mean, roughly they were about the same all, all three teams. So yeah. you'd say normally you probably split those 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 series. Um, now you probably feel like, boy, we should probably take three out of four or sweep both those teams. Um, you can probably add Atlanta in there, assuming Paul Millsap is gone. Um, so I don't think it's ridiculous to think that just by pretty much bringing back the same team and by by virtue of some of these other teams just sort of waving the flag 
um, waving the white flag around them that, you know, against those teams specifically, you may have picked up three wins, you know. Um, but obviously the, the, the push and pull here is there are obviously other teams that are going to be better, right? And yeah. uh, certainly Philly's going to be better. You know, you're, you're probably not going to. Well, they split last year. So split <laughs> I was just going to go there. Um, but uh, but obviously there, there are other teams that, that will continue to get better. Um, but in general, I mean, I think if you look at it from like a, you know, competing in the East type perspective, what we've seen so far, and it's very early, and I haven't refreshed my Twitter feed here in 10 minutes, but um, but what we mentioned, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about this if you want, but I mean, Paul George, you know, being traded for not much at all uh, to Oklahoma City. Jimmy Butler being traded for, you know, not guys that are going to matter maybe ever, but certainly not in next year. Um, and then him going to Minnesota. Uh, Atlanta kind of seemingly at best treading water, likely going downhill here if if Millsap leaves, especially if he goes to a Western Conference team. And then some of the West teams. I mean, you know, Blake Griffin was a guy that got talked about as being a potential target for Miami or Boston. He's staying in, in L.A. Um, you know, Gordon Hayward's probably the big one. Uh, if Gordon Hayward goes to Boston or Miami, um, that would be a big, you know, a big move to strengthen uh, a team in the East. But for the most part, you know, that we haven't really seen any, any real influx of, of guys who matter into the East. No. And um, I think it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, Kyle Lowry, I think, will be another guy, interesting guy to watch here. Um, you know, does he just re-up with, with the Raptors, in which case the Raptors continue to be presumably very, very good. Um, but if he were to leave, and I don't know, I don't know where he'd go, but, um, but if Kyle Lowry were to leave, then certainly Toronto's whole, you know, position in the East is, is kind of up for grabs all of a sudden, which, again, if you're a Bucks fan, would be pretty exciting. But... Um, we will we'll see how the madness unfolds here over the next couple of days. Okay, so that is, I guess, kind of the perspective from afar. I I would agree with you that watching these teams get very little for these players in return is kind of shocking. Um, but also, part of me wonders, especially especially with this Paul George deal, did he just make it so clear to anyone trading for him? Hey, I'm not coming back. Like you get me for one year, and again, I mean that's that's certainly a bluff. That that could be true. Maybe you do really mean it, or maybe you just are bluffing and trying to just keep teams away from you and make sure that you can get to LA. And I guess one thing I was thinking about was we didn't hear a Russell Westbrook extension at midnight tonight, which we could have. Part of me wonders. Okay, those two get to know each other, hang out a little bit. Would they be? cold-hearted and cold-blooded enough to say hey this has been pretty fun why don't we go do this in LA like that would be like the ultimate heel turn uh if those two guys both decided okay let's 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 go make the move let's go head over to LA I think that would be crazy um but I do wonder if if that since that return is so small if that was really what what uh Paul George's camp was pushing that hey I'm I'm not re-signing here. You can have me for one year. But I, I do think that's a risk I, I think a lot of teams should be willing to take because if all of a sudden he goes there, loves playing with Russell Westbrook, loves what he thinks Oklahoma City can do going forward, maybe thinks, okay, I can win a championship here and stays. And I always think as a team, 
a lot of the time that kind of seems, especially with how short tra- contracts have gotten, that, okay, if you give up two years of this good player uh, and some other pick or something, can you live with yourself getting rid of that? Like you probably would have had some roster turnover anyways. So, so maybe that just works out for you. Um, and I think we kind of saw that with OKC. Um, obviously not huge prospects uh, with the two guys they gave up, but um, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just an inch. I think this, this summer is very fascinating for a number of reasons. That's one of them. I'm also curious if expiring contracts start to regain value. Um, I know that's something I think Zach Lowe has mentioned. Do those expiring contracts start to regain value now? Is that at the trade deadline? Or maybe is it not at all? Do expiring contracts remain uh, not as valuable as we had seen them back in the day when you could legitimately trade an expiring contract for very good things? Um, so it, it's going to be a, a weird summer, um, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of kind of excited to see how it all goes. Yeah, I mean, it, the the George trade was interesting. I mean, you know, the the Celtics have predictably kind of done their, you know, damage control and suggested that they offered a lot more, you know, a week or two ago or whatever it was. And it's strange I mean, that those knows. stories keep coming out, Frank. It's just yeah, it's I mean, really the, weird that they keep coming out. The Celtics are very good about, you know, getting getting suggestions out that that other teams' players are targets of them, but never really dragging their own players through the mud very much um as far as who would go back and um i I don't know we'll see i mean i think the the problem obviously with george was as you said the fear that he was going to be lost and you know and that's why a team like the bucks obviously probably wouldn't seriously consider trading for him without some kind of assurance right that that he would stay because again you just at this point, you don't think, look think, look at the box as a team that could make the case for him to stay, especially given the indications that George specifically has given that he wants to be in L.A., which is where he's from, Palmdale, close enough. Like your um, your only hope would that he, would be that he loves playing with Giannis so much that that like that I, I can't think of another reason why he would resign if he if he's as adamant as he has been about going to L.A. Like that would have that would be the only way. Like he loves playing with Giannis so much and thinks they have a great future. Uh, together going forward that would be the only reason yeah and so i think the teams that then become really motivated at a trade for guys like george and and look i mean the you know i think this was a great move for oklahoma city even if they lose him any even if there's a high chance that they lose him in a year Agreed. um you know i mean the irony and people have already been pointing this out on twitter that i mean oladipo's contract 2021 million for four years i mean (laughs) that that might end up looking like a salary dump for all we know and yeah you know, okay, he went to Indiana, so there's some hometown whatever in in Indiana, Indianapolis. But um, yeah, that 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 deal just has a lot of questions around, it, especially given the lack of pick. You know, Sabonis is is fine. Sabonis could be a useful player, but um, but certainly not the haul that you would have expected. But by the same token, I think the teams that make sense, and this is kind of what I always like when people talk about like the Bucks trying to get involved in certain types of trades. I mean, part of it I always think of from the perspective of where should that player, you know, if you were a matchmaker, where would you want, where, where would it make sense for that player to go? And, you know, for the Bucks, a lot of, a lot of the times, you know, a lot of players, and George is not one of these, but, but a lot of guys like Lowry and Chris Paul, things like that, you know, obviously there's sort of the age mismatch issues that, that you can obviously raise questions about. Um, I mean, I think with this one, you know, you look at the team that was going to trade for Paul George, I think it's a team that 
is trying to win next year, right? And yeah. and is trying to prove something next year and has a ticking clock of them of their own, right? I mean, I think, you know, you look at Houston, well, why would they, you know, people can say like, oh, well, you're not going to beat the Warriors or whatever. But James Harden's in his prime. What is James, is James Harden 28, something on that order? I mean, what are you going to, you're not going to outweigh the Warriors with James <laughs> Harden. And the same, same is true for Russell Westbrook. If you're Oklahoma City, I mean, like you were alluding to, Now's there's a lot the higher chance that, yeah, there's a lot higher chance that if you just sort of sit around and say, okay, go go get your triple doubles and lead us to the fifth seed or sixth seed or whatever. Um, I mean, that's not really going to, that might be kind of fun, but it's not going to take you anywhere and it probably won't allow you to keep him necessarily either. So, um, so taking a shot on something with him is, I think, well worth it. And uh, and so again, I think you know the teams that were always going to be the most likely to trade for for George were teams that could could win and could talk themselves into maybe making some kind of leap. Not that anybody is looking at them as you know leaping past the Warriors and and maybe even Rockets, but um, but making some kind of improvement next year. And then um, a team that you know has a ticking clock of their own and has pressure to win next year. Um, and so I think you know from the from kind of a Bucks perspective, that's obviously. There's obviously less of that, right? I think most people would look at the Bucs and say, yeah, I mean, you want to be competitive. You want to show Giannis that you're serious about winning, but you also don't want to be, you know, pissing away assets for one year. Um, so we'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think that's going to be a really fun team to see how, how Westbrook and George kind of mix. I think it could certainly work, right? I think that the defense should be tremendous um, with, with George and Andre Robertson and Stephen Adams and company, but um, I'm really happy you, you know. didn't mention Westbrook as part of the reason why the defense yeah. could be. <laughs> no, I was no. a little bit concerned when you started that sentence. You know, you know, it's always funny how that one of the one of the funniest things about like the Russell Russell Westbrook narrative is like everybody who watches like the game closely knows that like he's not a great defender. He takes plays off. He doesn't go 100. He's, he's a bad defender. Yes, but then people also like always say about Westbrook. It's like oh. He always leaves it all out on the floor. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody plays harder. And I mean, I guess, I guess both can be true, right? Because he exerts so much effort, sure, offensively, right? Um, but it's kind of interesting. How, His energy is not exerted efficiently. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting how like he doesn't have the same stigma that, for instance, like James Harden does, just because, I don't know. I feel like Harden's kind of more nonchalant just about everything. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't look like he's trying as much as as best because especially offensively so I, I know my good friend Pratik Patel is is a big fan of the take that Westbrook is actually a worse defender than Harden and at least he was this past year I'm not sure I go that far but Westbrook's a pretty bad defender um so so I would agree there all right Frank last piece of Bucks news um obviously this morning a piece came out from Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorse that detailed uh, the Bucks GM search and kind of how that all went down, how strange it was, how big of a mess it was, um, uh, how big of a shit show it was. And um, we had both, I think both of us on Twitter had a bunch of people ask us, oh, are we going to get to hear your thoughts on this? Are you guys going to record a podcast this afternoon to talk about it? And I, I think both of us kind of just thought, no. Um, and not that we don't want to talk about it, but I feel like if you listen to Lockdown Bucks for the last month, and shout out to all of you that did, thank you very much. Um, but if you listen to Lockdown Bucks for the last month, I don't think anything in there was 
all that shocking to you. Um, maybe it, it would have been a slightly clearer. Um, you would have had a, a definite idea of what happened. But I think from a, a very general perspective, we, we kind of walked through that entire process as it occurred um, here on Lockdown Bucks. So I guess when you read that, was was there anything that stood out to you in that article that, that really shocked you? Um, I mean, I, I had not. I don't think we had heard the Danny Ferry uh, angle there about yeah. Adam Silver uh, reportedly like inserting himself into the situation and suggesting the Bucks go talk to Danny Ferry. Um, you know, I think the the sort of narrative around the actual hiring of John Horst and you know not him not even sort of realizing that he was a candidate. Um, you know that that jived with sort of things that we'd heard and um you know i think even at his introductory press conference he had to kind of dance around around that because uh, it was obvious he was not obviously part of the initial interviews and um it was obviously just sort of came together very quickly let's I was gonna say, say i mean it, it kind of confirmed one what we had kind of talked about that that night when uh stein had broke the the story that they uh, were interviewing him or whatever it may have been. And then kind of what we had heard was that it wasn't really an interview. It was just a conversation. And Horst mentioned that uh, when he was asked about his interview and how that all went during the introductory press conference. And I think this kind of clears that up, that it wasn't it wasn't really an interview at all. It was, hey, you're going to be the new GM. How does that sound? Um, and then a conversation from there. So I would agree. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so I mean, again, I, it's it, it is not a good look for the Bucks. It is worrying. Um, you know, Wes Edens comes across comes across as we've kind of discussed, not looking very good and looking disruptive and obviously pushing for a solution that obviously we um, we based on sort of what we'd heard from kind of all the chatter and and everything else seemed pretty out there and irrational to you know again go away from Justin Zanuck when sort of everything seemed to be pointing in that direction um and you know I mean you can only kind of wonder how how much different things would be if they had just sort of simply done what what seemed kind of the obvious easy route um, from the start and we probably I know some people asked us sort of as when when Hammond left and we kind of I don't want to say sounded the alarms but we were kind of pretty critical initially there like wondering what the bucks were doing and you know i think there were times there where probably i think people might have understandably wondered well why why is it a big deal that they're doing a search like that's not a big deal um and i don't think it was really so much that they're doing a search but just sort of you know again you read that article you kind of see i mean even from the beginning there was just a lot more going on that was not constructive let's say and sort of indicative of of broader issues and you know, again, I mean, we can, um, you know, we can kind of sit back and and now we can just sort of, you know, take shots at, at everything the Bucks do from here on out. And, you know, every time they don't trade for a superstar, you know, I, you know people are kind of probably say like, well, oh, they, they could have gotten Paul George, you know, and it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I it, it, it's easy to, you know, you, you can you can move the goalposts however you want based on on what we've heard and seen. Um, I think, you know, again, understandably, people are going to have deal, you know, treat them with more skepticism now um, than a month ago. 
before John Hammond left. And granted, there was also some skepticism before John Hammond left for valid reasons. But, um, you know, I think the question now is just what, what do they do to move forward and um, how do they empower and support John Horst in a productive way? And, uh, you know, we're going to see it in real time as far as what that means for the uh, hashtag results uh, in terms of team building and <laughs> trades and things like that. I mean, you know, I think you're all, you're only, you know, one good trade away from kind of winning people back over because, you know, again, people are fans, you know, we're, we're fans too, right? It's yeah. uh, pe- people like to, you know, especially in the summer when there are no games happening, people like to kind of grab onto something and if they see stuff they don't like, then they're going to talk about what they don't like and you got to give them something to basically give them something to feel good about. And, and so, um, you know, I don't know if the Tony Snell deal is going to win over a bunch of people, but I think it, at a minimum, it should not, um, you know, people should not be, I think, upset about it. Um, but there's obviously more work to do because I think a lot of the re- a lot of people who would be upset about it are people who are maybe not so much upset about the Tony Snell deal, but just sort of the compound effect of adding Snell on top of, you know, Henson on top of Toledovich on yeah. top of Delavadova. So um, if you can unwind some more of those deals, you know, really one, if you can un- unwind one of those deals, um, you know, pair that with Greg Monroe and, and Spencer Hawes being expiring contracts. You know, your, your, your situation becomes more palatable pretty quickly. Um, you then have to make a big decision about what you're doing with Jabari Parker over the next year. But um, I'm sure we will have many podcasts where we bemoan the, the challenge of, of that decision. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what the Bucks do. Obviously, we, we're not expecting a whole lot. We, I tweeted out our predictions, which we talked about the other night, um, and it was pretty much just guys who are already on the roster and what was going to happen to them because yep. um, you know not for for now there, there's really not a lot of relevance in going out and trying to you know look at the list of free agents out there and pick who who the bucks might sign because for now there's just not really much flexibility to do so there's really not even roster spots to do so so we'll we'll see the, it'll it'll have to start with addition by subtraction and then we'll see if they can get around to some addition by addition from reactions to the the article i think I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think I can. I think we were both surprised about uh, people not being as aware of the governor role um, as they were. Because um, I, I think that was something we had mentioned during this process, but I guess probably something that we didn't make quite clear enough that they do every five years switch the governor role from Edens to Lazary and Edens is for, through his first three years and Lazary will take over that role in two years. Um, I, I I know we mentioned it, but I, I guess that's probably something we didn't make quite clear enough. Um, and then I think one other thing that stands out, and there, there's probably two ways to look at this, but uh, when you look at horse contract, three years, 500000 each year, that puts them on the, the very low end of general managers or lead decision makers, however you want to characterize that term, uh, that puts him on the low end of salary for those type of people. And when we had this conversation for the last month, we kept talking about, okay, what draws someone to one of these lead decision maker roles and it's money and it's power. And again, maybe since you decided to go with Horst, who wasn't experienced, maybe you can negotiate that down to $500,000. But the other part of me says, okay, maybe that's not a position they're willing to spend a lot of money on. Um, and we, we talked about kind of how that's just not a, th- a thing a lot of teams do to spend a lot of money on the GM or the president of basketball operations or whatever it may be. So 
today when you read in that article that okay they're they're trying to figure out if they want to they're searching for a veteran league executive to support Horst or possibly even for a president above him when you see that to me it screams there's not gonna be someone above him because if there's going to be someone above him, then maybe they would have gotten some better candidates because they would have been willing to pay more. Like uh, to me, it seems like, okay, they're not going to stick even more money on it to bring someone above him. They would continue to keep it, keep that salary a little bit lower, stay on the cheaper side and get someone to support horse there. Um, I don't know if you thought the same thing, but to me that, that kind of stood out to me that when people were asking, Oh, could it be, could it be David Griffin or could it, could they make some godfather offer to RC Buford? Like, no, it doesn't seem like they're all that interested in that. Um, it, it seemed like they, they were more interested in getting a guy that was going to be a, a little bit on the cheaper side. So um, that was another thing that stood out to me. And I think that's about it. But yeah, like I said, that I hope there was nothing all that surprising to people. Um, any of our frequent listeners, hopefully you felt, I don't want to say comfortable because you shouldn't feel comfortable with it because it was a mess, but at least you felt not surprised as you read through it that we we hopefully guided you along the way um, and kind of let you know that a lot a lot of this was going on. And um, hopefully we questioned that process well enough uh, to kind of see here as you read through it and see how it actually went that uh, you can see why we were questioning that process. Yeah, and I mean to be clear, right? I mean, if if you wanted John Horse as your GM, there's no reason to pay him a ton of money because you didn't have to, right? I mean, he's sure. a guy who was was a couple rungs below GM, so I'm sure he's happy to to work for for a half million dollars a year. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any sense that that they would bring somebody above him at this point. I mean, you know, in fact, there's been no talk about interest in David Griffin, despite, you know, some murmurs about that, uh, you know, initially after John Hammond left, um, no indication of that now. And I, I, I know, I think we talked about that, that that does not seem to be the case that they would bring in somebody above John Horse, especially after they've made such a big deal about John Horse being the guy and, you know, John Horse saying that, that, he, you know, he's going to be the guy making decisions. So, um, so we'll see, right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that especially with Billy McKinney gone, um, Chris Gilmartin gone, um, obviously Justin Zanuck gone, um, you know, there are positions to fill. Um, so we'll see how soon we, we get news of that, but certainly at some point here in the near future, you'd expect to see some additions and, um, you know, until then the bucks will be a bit shorthanded, but, um, you know, as we pointed out, not a whole lot of decisions to be made right now. So just um, wait one second, Frank, this isn't breaking, breaking, but it's, it's something Chris Haynes, from ESPN reports, New York and Milwaukee have inquired about the young swingman Ben McLemore, league sources tell ESPN. So that's that broke at 12.32 here in the morning. Um, ben McLemore is a player that the Bucks have been rumored to be interested in for a while now. I have literally no interest in him. None. I don't think he's an NBA basketball player. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Well, the irony is he was a guy that was mentioned before the Bucks ultimately got Tony Snell a year ago yep. in the Michael Carter Williams deal. He was a guy that got mentioned as as I think being uh, the, the the Kings were not willing to trade him for Michael Carter Williams. And I'm not saying that that was not justified because because it's not like uh, Michael Carter Williams did anything uh, in Chicago last year. But um, you know, Macklemore is kind of 
struggled to to make an impact as well um, in his fourth season. 23 years old. I mean, he's younger than Tony Snell. Um, did shoot a career high 38% from three last year. Um, but you know, again, he's a guy who shoots threes, doesn't really add much else uh, on a basketball court. Um, the advanced numbers don't paint a very good picture of him. Um, doesn't seem to be a guy considered to have you know particularly high IQ or play. Uh, you know, in a way that uh, is going to make a big difference. But again, he's 23 years old. He can shoot a bit. Um, you know, certainly. And, and I think you would team... assume that's a, a low, low salary as well. So not like you'd be taking a huge risk on Ben McLemore. Right. I mean, and again, this is kind of one of the things with the way the market is now shaping up. If a guy like Ben McLemore ends up going for, you know, a few million bucks a year, like a biannual exception thing, and I, I'm not saying that that's what he will because he may very well get a lot more than that. Um, but if he's a you know three million dollar a year player, then that's a really easy risk to take because yep. you know especially if you have room under the tax and Bucks currently don't. Um, but otherwise, um, you know he's a guy. If you're paying seven eight million dollars a year, probably not feeling as great about that just because of how little he's <laughs> no, shown. No. But um, but you know by the same token, Tony Snell had not shown that much before last year as well, and sure. so. You never know when a guy might kind of the switch get the the switch gets flipped, and um, obviously Rashad Vaughn, you know, another guy who's super young, still just 20 years old. Um, you know, we talked about his future in Milwaukee being unclear, and um, you know that's the that's the thing with these guys. If you you know you look at anything, eh, they can kind of shoot, they kind of have some defensive tools to defend twos. Um, those are the kinds of guys who you know you you don't want to give up on, but um, yeah. obviously Sacramento with Buddy Hield and. Uh, and company in the backcourt, you know, an increasingly crowded backcourt now, they they opted to not extend Ben Malcolmore a qualifying offer, which is why he's not a restricted free agent. He's uh, an unrestricted free agent. So um, not sure the significance of the Bucks inquiring, but, um, you know, he's a guy that, again, uh, could be a, a useful flyer type guy for some team. Um, but again, if you're counting on him to be your starting shooting guard, that, that probably wouldn't be uh, something to feel comfortable about. All right, Frank, that's it. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. So I'm going to say that's it for us for tonight. Uh, this has been Locked on Bucks. Hopefully we've gotten you everything you needed to know about the Tony Snell signing, uh, the rest of the craziness in free agency, and also a little bit of a recap on the Bucks general manager search. So hopefully we hit everything you were looking for and you are very pleased with what you're listening to here on Saturday. We'll talk to you uh probably monday um i assume probably sunday night we'll get back together and record and see if anything else has happened um but otherwise be safe on this holiday weekend it's a strange thing with the fourth of july on a tuesday i feel like it could just be a very very long weekend and everyone can have a, a great time so a reminder today's episode of locked on bucks was brought to you by our good friends at SeatGeek. Use our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked On Bucks to get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Be safe out there. For Frank Madden, this has been Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks. We'll talk to you later. Hi, you've reached the high fashion hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. Right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.